Hello, and welcome again to the Inking Out Loud podcast. On the table for today's discussion is Calamity, the final volume in Brandon Sanderson's young adult trilogy. Trilogy? The trilogy. The Reckoners. <laughs> I'm your host, Rob Santos, who's off to a great start, of course. And joined by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And returning special guest, Lauren McCaffrey, Drew's wife. What's up, Lauren? Hey, how's it going? Now, guys, that ending, that this this entire final installment, like, what are we thinking, Drew? I want I want to start with you, Broski. Uh, I want to get your sort of uh, general impressions. Like, how did you find this book? This book was uh, an interesting reading experience. Um, <laughs> interesting. The through the first like two thirds of this book, I was. You know, the first time I read it, I was just a hundred percent on board. I was loving it. I was like, "This is one of the best books Brandon has ever written. It's on track to be even better than Firefight." And then that ending just fell flat. Hmm. For you, it is yep. the only book I've read by Brandon Sanderson that didn't have an awesome climax. It is, I think, uh, one of the most problematic. Um, decisions he made and and I get like I get why he did it because he's he's got this apocalypse guard like, mm. ancillary series that he wants to write um, and the end of this set that up but because it's an ending that needs a further series an ancillary series to flesh out and explain yeah. fully everything that doesn't make for an effective ending to a trilogy I mean it, it's it's unsatisfying for the first time. The yeah. Sanderson book left me unsatisfied. What about you, Lauren? How did you find it? So, I'm a lot more positive. Oh, okay. I'm going to be somewhere between you guys, I think. I like, with Sanderson, how many answers we get um, for, for like, the powers. And I, and I always like how he... Not necessarily that he gives us all the answers for every series, but there are answers. Always. You know, like, there's a reason yeah. why powers are the way they are. There's a reason why weaknesses are the way they are. And everything ties together. I like that. Yeah, as Kelsey Maybe the ending. Say, yeah. There's always Maybe the ending could have been better. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, okay. So, as and I've mentioned this <clears throat> a few other times throughout the course of this podcast, but I found that I honestly liked this volume a little more than I remembered liking it. Uh, I mean, between the three in the series, I mean, I've, I've probably read Steelheart 10, 15 times, uh, Firefight, half of that, but I, I remember leaving Calamity with a sort of kind of vague disappointment the first time. Uh, it, it was definitely a, a very ambivalent feeling, though, because, I mean, there was, there was definitely a lot, there's a lot to like in this book, and you know, clearly a lot not to like, <coughs> Cody. Uh, but I specifically <laughs> remember feeling a bit um, unsatisfied. I'll, I'll say unsatisfied the first couple times I read this book. And this is, I think this is my fourth time reading this book. And uh, granted, a lot of those feelings, they still linger, but um, I'll get into why later. But I have to admit that this, the sort of deeper dive that we did for this podcast, you know, that I, that I do for this podcast, it really opened my eyes a bit. I have a lot more positive things to say about this book today than I have uh, previously, uh, I'm not going to be probably you know glowing about this one like I did with Steelheart, but I, I definitely want to discuss uh, everything I appreciated this time, you know, with 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 a more thorough look. So um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited to get to get the ball rolling here. So uh, do you guys just want to start, you know, opening up with some first impressions? Start with you know Sanderson's style, how we felt like it fit for this this installment here. Um, sure. And, and I think the beginning of the book is a really good place for that because sure. it starts with a really good sequence. Uh, you know, when they're stealing into the Nighthawk foundry and, uh, and we get some fun action sequences. We get a couple of creepy little things in there. We get, uh, we get you know, vintage Megan and David. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a good example of how Brandon has improved on his pacing over the years where, um, you know, you compare how Calamity opens to how Steelheart opens, for instance, where there's, mm. like, a very short little prologue scene with a little bit of action, and then it takes a while to get moving after that. Did you this, Whereas the, this the, one just the prologue in Steelheart was short? That was the longest prologue of all of them, wasn't it? 
I mean, relatively speaking, but, but like the actual action scene in that is is just like a little punctuation oh, mark at the beginning of the story, and then it goes jumps in time to David, and then we have this long ramp up before we really get into the meat of the story. Whereas this one, we hit the ground running. We do. We have an extended action infiltration sequence. We have real, um, you know, uh, character development connecting back to the end of the second book with Megan using her powers, and we find out. Well, she conquered her fear in that one instance, but she can still succumb to it, you know, in in the future, and uh, and you know, and then we we move pretty quickly from from Nighthawk, and you know, there are negotiations with him, and and then uh, out to Ildithia, and and I mean, the book is just it moves along at a at a fast clip, which I like a lot. It's it's one of the reasons why I think it was on track to be one of his best books until the. Uh, climax so hmm. yeah i agree a lot about that climax it, you know following what i said a couple of episodes ago uh for the first volume um i want to hear what you think about that first line uh david's trademark terrible metaphor all right the sun peeked over the horizon like the head of a giant radioactive manatee what'd you think for both of you no no I... no. no lauren what do you think of these these terrible metaphors are you like like me and you like them no so He's inconsistent about it. There's one he has about fire where he uh-huh. gets it perfect. He's like, oh, like the dying embers of a campfire. I'm like, well, that's not a messed up simile here, you know? I actually have a few <laughs> points specifically about that, how David's kind of internal their narrative actually does have a few really, really badass ones, but the ones that come out of his mouth always seem to be, like, terrible. It depends if you like that. I actually, for some reason... And we've said this a million times before. We'll say it a million times again. For the most part, Drew and I find Brandon Sanderson's humor. Lauren, I don't know. I haven't spoken to you too much about Brandon's humor, but we kind of feel that it's it's a little it's it's less than subtle. It's um, a little cheesy. It, it's a little cheesy at times, for sure. Um, you know, Cody being one of my most hated characters of all time. We'll get there. But <laughs> for some reason, and I can't explain why, I love these metaphors. I love them. And these are the kind of things that normally I would hate when I read a Brandon Sanderson book. I love his plot. I love his characters. I love his penchant for spectacle. But usually his little character quirks, quirks I should say, do drive me nuts. And for some reason that I can't figure out, these metaphors don't bother me i love them every time that that opening line the sun peeked over the horizon like the head of a giant radioactive manatee i don't think i've ever had an actual chuckle on the first sentence of a book ever until this book and i actually did chuckle the first time i read that it kind of felt like a like a welcome mat like like a welcome back you know um i don't know i I liked it Go ahead. I think I laughed the first time, maybe. And then this time it's been kind of like, oh, well, here we go. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm partial to those. Although, if I, if I have actually a, a confession to make, honestly, uh, the first three times I read this book, when I read Manatee, for some reason I thought of a stingray. And I don't know why. It wasn't it took me until my fourth read and <laughs> I realized, oh, you know, manatees are the big, fat, round ones. I was just thinking like a stingray. I was like, oh, the clouds are diffusing the sun. It's kind of like going out and, and, and the curtain no it's, it's it's a big old fat water mammal I totally forgot which, which what the hell a manatee was until now mermaids they're mermaids <laughs> remember yeah they're they're big ugly mermaids <laughs> <laughs> so yeah anyway what about the uh, the rest of the humor did you find like the situational humor did you find like uh, for example I liked uh, Nighthawks his his or not Nighthawks technically it was David's language filter on his phone I got a kick out of that. I loved it. That's hilarious. You? Right? I love that. Drew? Broski? Yeah, it's all right. Oh, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he doesn't have to like everything. Uh, I, but, I wish sorry, I knew somebody who, who cursed like that and I had a filter. I would love I would love to do that. It's so much better uh, than the cursing. Like. Yeah, I mean, how many times a day, and we're going to censor this, how many times a day do you see a f- I mean, in like in in a written word on on Facebook, on YouTube, I see it. Oop! I just it one just slipped out. Yeah, I see it hundreds of times a day. Seeing somebody say, "Hold on, I'm taking a koala." <laughs> Perfect. Loved it. Such an unexpected <laughs> little turn on that phrase. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I that's thought, that's my favorite. Brandon Sanderson being able to curse without actually having to curse. I kind of like how he worked that in there. It felt a little uh, <laughs> a little magical. 
yeah, I mean, it's it's better than some of his humor for sure. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess this this like this savage glee when Sanderson decides to occasionally get crude, and uh, you know, it doesn't happen often. I, I'm actually, in fact, I'm on another uh, read through of Oathbringer right now. Uh, with the audiobook at work, and I found a few moments with Vale that I somehow keep forgetting about. No spoilers, of course. But I, I just want to say that when when Sanderson does decide to, to get crude like that, uh, he does it perfectly. And maybe that's I'm thinking that's probably why he doesn't do it too often because he mm-hmm. waits until it's perfect, and then he kind of dips his toe in the water there. You know, in every case, yeah. I feel like it's absolutely justified. It's like I I don't without going too far you know off topic here there are sure. a couple of moments in Mistborn era 2 in the bands of mourning where, oh, yeah. where he does he's surprisingly um vulgar and, <laughs> and and it it hits home with a little more like like you consider like a scene like that versus Kane where like, oh, vulgar yeah. is the name of the game in in Kane like it's yeah. it's what you expect and in Sanderson it's not what you expect so it can kind of blindside you a little bit and give you a little more of a chuckle than than you would otherwise have but yeah but like so I, I, the, I wouldn't have found any of that funny coming from stover none of it yeah 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 exactly yeah. um so i have a question for you guys though moving yeah. moving kind of away from the humor and into the setting. Me up. so each of these three books is is pretty focused around for the most part um a single city and each city has you no know, defining characteristics we have new Cago, we have babylar and now we have ildithia which one of those three was your favorite setting? See, I'm torn. I did not like the setting of the third, Ildithia, the city of salt, the city that keeps moving. I was bored by that. I didn't like it. <laughs> but, I, 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 see, I like Steelheart as a book more, but I think I liked the, the, the setting in Firefight more. Uh, Babylar was just, just the, the glowing fruit, the water, the dawn's lights, you know, roots holding up the buildings. I, there's something about the aesthetic of that, I think. I think think firefight is my favorite setting if maybe not my favorite book more so i really like babylar obviously same same reasons but i think ildithia is kind of fun with the artistry like the vines that come in on the buildings and how everything changes all the time he doesn't describe it as much maybe as babylar but i imagine it being really cool because these buildings don't last, and you're constantly, I don't know, seeing change, and it's kind of cool to me. Hmm. Hmm. What about you, Drew? Uh, Babylar is my favorite, by yeah. my I think it's the most dynamic setting. I think it has the most uh, going for it in terms of what the story can do in it and with it. Um, and, and I think just, like, in my mental, you know, image of it, it's so cool. It, it's, uh, you know... This series is one of those situations where um, it's most obvious that Brandon Sanderson... So you know how he... These uh, three laws of magic. You know, he's got you know things about how like the limitations on magic are more interesting than uh, the magic itself. And then, you know, like, uh, stuff like that. And, and it's better to extrapolate on what you already have versus pull something new out of midair and things like that. But then he also has what he calls the zeroth law... And that is simply air on the side of awesome. And this series is a case in point for that. Um, it, it's in almost every instance, Brandon took the opportunity to go for the more awesome thing. And Babylar, I think, is the uh, best example of that of the settings, where it, it gives him the most opportunity to do awesome things in the setting where you can have this really cool nighttime party on on a rooftop that transitions into, like, a chase scene through the buildings. You can have, like, the graffiti and the flowers and the fortune cookies mm. and and the jetpack, the water <clears throat> jetpack, and, like, and the underwater secret base and things like that. It's such a rich environment with yeah, so many different um, opportunities within it where Ildithia and New Cago are more um, rigid uniform uh, it's more just like yeah, one yeah. thing it, you it, know there's one defining characteristic of each of those where there's much more diversity in Babylar yeah it could be just like the uh, the gamer in me but um, I, I did find that I that I, I appreciated the flexible environment I suppose if you want to call it 
um, because like like you just mentioned, like uh, I almost said Ildithia, <clears throat> Babylar just seemed to kind of mix everything. It had it had water, but it still had you know skyscrapers, and you were up in the skyscrapers, but it had the underwater. Yeah. There was there was a lot of you're right. There was a lot of range, a lot of flexibility with that environment, a lot of things that Brandon could do to play with it. Uh, gave him really a, a big big chance to flex those you know air on the side of awesome muscles for a zero with law. Ildithia, eh, I don't know. City of Salt. It's it sounds like. It would it would be spectacular on film. Sorry, <clears throat> my my throat is still screwed up. Wow. Uh, and, and as as Lauren mentioned earlier, like you know the the artistry in, in the the growing rock salt. That sounds kind of cool. The uh, the colors. I w- I didn't realize rock salt really just has the, the potential to for all this myriad of just d- mm-hmm. different colors and, and strata. And it it sounds like it would look great on film, but I just don't think it would have the impact of the glowing fruit. And the, yeah. the surging waves, and and you know, or maybe the permanent night, and the uh, the just the the lighting of of uh, Nukago and stuff like that, and how it dims over the day, you know, steel and everything, and sparks being struck on on a T-shirt that you accidentally run over, you know, like I don't know. Ildithia well, as, seemed. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, as you guys were talking about, I realized how long it's been since I read Firefight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, I I did love the neon. I I do remember now. And I, the people kind of really <laughs> won it over for me too, because they're all just like kind of head in the clouds, like ah, just relax. Everybody has fun. No need to worry yourselves about it. That's a, that's totally a mindset I can get myself into. You know, post apocalypse. I think that would be me in there. You know, eating fruit, glowing fruit. That yeah, people will find a way to ferment anything. I think that was a line in the second book. Yeah. I don't know why we're spending so much time t- talking about firefight, though. Damn it, <laughs> we're on, uh, oh. <laughs> we're on I, the, calamity here. You know, this is this is the third book in the series, so everything has to be taken in context with what yeah. came before it. And, yeah, true and that. Especially, you know, how the series builds up and and where it ends in calamity and 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 so uh, one thing I did really enjoy in Ultimia, sure. it's probably my favorite action scene in the whole series. Oh. Is uh is the uh, the party in the tower? Yeah, yeah. The I tower mean that was a whole sequence climax. was amazing, and it was, it was long, so good. longer than I remembered yeah. it being. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, there's there's so much character packed in there. There's so much action that, that fraught situations. It's tense. You get these startling revelations. You know, you you have um, like Megan's powers coming into play, and like Prof's alternate daughter, and like. And then Tia's death, and all yeah. all of this coming together, and and this is part of the reason why I think the climax, the real climax of this book, fell flat for me because that <clears throat> that scene felt like it should have been the climax. Agreed, absolutely then, agreed. Yeah, and then we have another whatever like hundred pages, maybe 70, 80 pages after that, that feels like a falling action instead of a instead of it continuing to ramp up it's one of those situations where the sanderson avalanche uh didn't keep the momentum going hmm. and and it, it sort of peaked early and then there was what amounted to an extended denouement that had an unsatisfying conclusion to it yeah. so it, it's almost like i can't even say that brennan should have written four books and that this like Ildithia should have been its own thing, and then you should have expanded <coughs> something into Calamity. Like maybe have this called Limelight, and then you know the fourth book be called Calamity or something. But uh, I mean, there would that would bring yeah. its own set of problems. But it's interesting because I'm comparing this to Skyward, where you know it's his new YA series, and again it was it was a trilogy, and then he realized, wait a second, this will work better as four books. And yeah. it makes me wonder if he ran into a similar kind of situation in his plotting of the Skyward trilogy as he had in Calamity, and he learned from his mistake in Calamity, and he decided, no, this is going to work better if I split this into two, and I have this great conclusion to the third book, instead of having that be a mid-book uh, mini-climax, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the tower scene felt so much more... Uh, heavy the tower scene was it, it felt like the true climax of the book it, it was if it would have ended there it would have been a little short but i th- i still think i would have been more satisfied with 
a fourth book. I, I can absolutely see that. I hadn't even considered a fourth book, but I can, you know, putting it in context, I can actually see. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem buying another Brandon Sanderson book. I doubt either of you would have a problem buying a fourth Brandon Sanderson no. book for this series. No. It would have been awesome, you know. Uh, yeah, the, the ending definitely, definitely to me fell a little flat. I'll, I'll get way more into detail uh, for you know the, in the conclusion of this episode. I have a whole point written up about that. Um, but for now, I think uh, you guys want to start moving on to our, our characters because, yeah, sure, might as well, right? Um, starting with David. Of course, our main character. How can you start with anybody else? Uh, I'll, I'll say they were they're okay. So there were a couple of, of I didn't like David in this in this volume. I liked him a lot in Steelheart. I really really found him pretty cool in Firefight. Didn't like him so much in Calamity. What about you two? What did you think of David? Uh, I I did like him in this one. Yeah? I thought it was um, <clears throat> I thought it was a cool twist having him actually end up with epic powers. Uh, and I I liked you how found that to be a twist. Well, yeah, in in a way, because it's set up at the end of Firefight to where he rejected it. And then yeah. over the course of Calamity, you get these hints that like, well, maybe hints. maybe it happened anyway. Hints. And and then, it was and like a like neon sign saying, look, look at this, progressively everybody. Progressively more obvious. Um, and and so that's that's why I enjoyed it. I, I liked the way Brandon like worked that in gradually instead of just like starting the book off with, oh, by the way, I have powers now. Like, um, you know, it, and I, again, I like his relationship with Megan a hell of a lot. Um, I, I was a little frustrated at points. Um, I, I wanted Megan to not have to deal with the, the darkness for this book. I wanted that, um, overcoming of her fear in Firefight to be a permanent thing. Yeah, somehow I thought um, that, so was that was it. I don't know. That was a little frustrating reading through it, but... But because she still had to struggle with the darkness, she and David retain that really fun dynamic that we talked about so much in Firefight. Um, I, I think the two characters play off each other really, really well. What I about agree. you, Lauren? You agree? I agree. Uh, although I like Megan a lot more. It frustrated me oh, yeah. that uh, his, his dealing with the powers, he kept rejecting it, and I was kind of like, could you please... Like, I know that Brandon wanted to keep him a sidekick yeah. for the series, because that was the point. Was, like, he's not the hero, but he is. He doesn't have the powers, but he is the hero, you know? Right, yeah. And it was frustrating. I wanted him to accept the powers earlier, because he'd already faced his fears. I was like, well, can you please... Like, can you save Tia, maybe, if you accept yeah. the powers yeah. at an earlier it time? I, there are a few moments where a bit of hesitation or a bit of self-doubt really and I can net, you know of course having read the series before going back and, and having more context for what's happening I definitely have moments where I'm like okay people are dying right now you're going you're, you're going to, to accept that you're going to save them a minute from now but for the next minute people are dying and you're sitting here going oh I don't know if I should maybe I can maybe I can't you know and uh, on the subject of David getting his powers I mean, that scene that we got at the end of Firefight, when David actually is risen up by Cal uh, Calamity, well, to see Calamity by Regalia's Waters, that might be my favorite scene in the entire series. And it was over so quickly, because we found out that Calamity was an epic right before that, right? It was, it was unbelievable. It was such a huge heavy... I don't know why it took me by surprise as much as it did, but it definitely did. And it was over with so quickly, David, it was just kind of tossed aside. David's like, eh, <coughs> I'm good, thanks, though, you know? And I was just, what, that's it? I mean, I didn't expect him to take it, but there should be more info. Is it, is it not like a, a conversation with Calamity? Is it, it, The whole thing was immediately tossed aside because, you know, this climax needed to start. The Sanderson avalanche at the end of the book needed to, to, to you know, the ball to get rolling. So the entirety of Calamity, I'm just waiting. I, was, I, I found myself waiting for the result of that, the other shoe to drop. And once David started getting his nightmares, I think it was, I want to say it was like chapter 15 or chapter 11 started with one of his nightmares. You know, I was like, at that point, I was like, okay, so he's definitely an epic. He's just refusing to accept it at this point, or he just is not grasping that power. On the subject of Megan, I, I don't know why I don't seem to remember this. I thought, she, like you had just mentioned, when she faced her fears to save David's life in Firefight, I thought, okay, the darkness is detached from her now. For some reason, even though I've read this book three times already, 
I, I just wasn't prepared for Megan to, to, to have such a struggle in this one with, with Calamity's corruption. I just didn't seem to remember it happening, although I could see why Brandon would still include it. As you said, it's great for the chemistry between David and Megan. It, it gives him a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of things to play with uh, in their interactions. So I could see why he did it. I just don't remember it being an issue until I, until I, yeah, I bet, I guarantee you I'm going to forget again until I go and read it a fifth time. You know, months yeah. or years down the road, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's right." You know, I do, I do love that scene where she's trying to give her powers away, and then Larson, she's like, yeah. "No, no, this is my burden." I love that. Yeah. Where she, you know, she can't give them away anymore. She's well, fully yeah, accepted. They're, they're it. part of her. They that, they come to that realization that her powers are part of her. David loves her, so he kind of loves her powers too. And it's a little, you know, he he doesn't. He doesn't want to see her make that kind of sacrifice just for him. Well, and she doesn't, you know, she's like, no, 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 this is, And she takes that on, this is part of me, like, this is not something I can, this is not, I could, just like an amputation I can perform, you know, or you can perform. So she, yeah, and of course we really needed that moment from her because it gave us a lot of, you know, hints for for the future and figuring out, uh, I think, Prof's weakness and, and, and figuring out the entirety of the puzzle. Um, and that's something I, I, I didn't remember. <laughs> I know I've said this like 10 times already. Um, I thought that the entirety of the secret was just facing one's fears. Somehow through, you know, my first read through the, ser- the trilogy, this, my second read through, my third read through, you know, all these dozens of times reading Steelheart. I thought that was the entire answer. For some reason, I didn't find out. I just now learned at the end of this book that it's actually still, it has one further stipulation. You have to face your fears to save someone else. Simply facing your fears is not enough. Don't know why it took me until my fourth read through to pick that one up, but I kind of found it as a neat little stipulation there. I like that how they added that balance. Um, so. And so, speaking about Megan's powers, uh, like, how sure. do you feel about the direction that took in this book, where it wasn't just illusions; it's that she's literally like tapping into alternate dimensions because that opens like a whole can of worms. Yeah, yeah, I found it <clears throat> very convoluted and confusing. I found it you know convenient at times i <clears throat> maybe it's just because i find myself hard you know struggling to kind of grasp everything that she can do and that she can't do of course we get more a little more information from larson or slash calamity um about how you know there, there's there are such things as core possibilities and ephemeral possibilities or where, where how whatever the terminology was that he used <coughs> but i don't know megan's powers I kind of liked it better when I thought she was just an illusionist. Yeah. But but that, I mean, that at least, it gives us an explanation for how she can die and come back. I guess. You know, like, yeah. like, she can die and leave a body and then come back because it's just like pulling another one of the infinite versions of her, you know. Do we, do we know that for a fact, though, or we just assume that? I mean, that's that's the impression I got from it. I definitely remember them talking about it as a possibility, and that's why Megan was was really filled with a lot of self-doubt, and then that's why David was able to give her that perfect metaphor about the sunrise. But, I don't know, I I didn't think that that was a definitive answer, I thought that was just like a philosophical, maybe this is it, maybe this is not it, does it really matter, was was what I really left that with. Yeah, yeah, I I was with you. Sweet, sweet. Um, I don't know. I have a couple more things about David I want to complain about, though. Uh, you <laughs> if I get those out of the way? All right. All right, so... All right, now, <clears throat> there were a couple of decisions, let's say questionable choices that David makes in this volume as the new leader of the Reckoners, um, and there are a couple of things I don't really agree with, or or maybe I just felt maybe weren't in his character. Uh, and I'll just provide a couple of examples. So, in Chapter 18... His plan to forego using the imager technology and instead form his plan on a public walk with his team through the streets of Ildithia. I mean, first off, pretty unwise. I mean, there are obviously there's the danger of being overheard by the citizenry, yada yada. But it, what on this read through, I realized something else. Dynamo, the epic, wasn't wasn't Dynamo an epic who's supposed to have sound manipulation powers? Oh. I mean, he made the open public discussion of, of, of this whole plan seem a little bit extra foolish to me. Um, and as we've seen in the previous two books, David, yeah, okay, he's immature, he's naive, but he's still a lot like Prof in some ways. We know that for a fact. 
in it for me in particular, he's a lot like Prof in the way that they're both they're both both very pragmatic dudes. They're very realistic. Granted, it, it did provide the perfect opportunity for this timely, heartfelt speech that he gave his crew, but it went so against what I thought David would do that I, it felt a little transparent to me. I, I kind of got the vague feeling that this, the entire scene was kind of set up around that particular speech, and it was a good speech. It was a great speech, but since I was doing such a deep look at the book over all this time, it, it, it kind of took me a little bit out of the narrative at that point. That's fair. It was like a sort of reverse engineered, like on Brandon's part, like he wrote that scene to set up the speech. Yeah, like I don't know that for a fact, but it just coming out as a natural. It kind of read like that. Yeah. I don't know. That's fair. What do you think? Did you find him making any decisions that you were like, what? Or no? I I mean. I wasn't really thinking about it that way. Um, See, like to me, that's not necessarily out of character because David. In, in all three of the books, David makes some choices that are not always the wisest. Sure. Because he is still, like, a young man. He's still learning and still growing. And and um, and and one of his main character struggles in this is, like, dealing and learning with this newfound responsibility that he has as a public figure, as a notorious, mm. you know, person. And, and especially in this where he's, like, he no longer has prof to fall back on as a leader. So. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll throw my second example at you. Let's see how you feel about this one then. Um, when they find Tia for the first time and she starts asking questions, you know, well, David, the first time I met you, we talked about this. What was the subject of discussion? Guns everywhere trained on them. And David's just, he doesn't realize what she's doing, that she's trying to confirm their I- identity. He's just like, oh, why does that matter? Tia, that doesn't matter. We got to talk about this. And Abraham has to be like the be like the one D- dumbass. She's just trying to make sure you are who you are because there's epics everywhere. Was he really that unaware of what Tia was doing? I mean, it just seemed like it was obvious. It just I don't know how David didn't manage to grasp it, putting himself and his squad in danger because he's just like, oh, I don't want to answer those questions. We have more pressing things to talk about, even though I have guns pointed at me. I think I see that as his stress about leading the team. And he's just okay, so okay. like, oh my gosh, Tia, blah, 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 blah. Let me unload on you. Like, why are we talking about anything else? This is, I'm like, this is what my concern is right now. And he's not even thinking. There, there was a very big moment. And I, I, to balance that, those, those complaints that I just had, I will say there was a very big moment for David where I felt like he really grew up. And um, that was a moment in the tower when after they've just rescued Tia, you know, all of Regalia's secrets are within reach on, 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 Prof's t- on Prof's computer. And instead of improvising, as he normally would choose to do, he orders his team to retreat. And I felt that was, a, that was a really big decision for David to make. We have never seen him say, okay, fall back before. Every single time before this point, when something goes wrong, David's like, I can fix this. I can fix yeah. this. But when he's in Prof's role, when he's no longer point, when he's, you know... He's the, he's the team leader, he has to make much bigger decisions than simply thinking about his own mm-hmm. safety. So I thought that big moment of change for David where he, deci- where he decides to order the retreat, I actually liked it. I thought it was a, it was a big yeah. step for him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah? Um, yeah, it's, you know, because that's his, that's his kind of biggest uh, conflict in this is, is learning how to be a leader and learning how to take care of those around him instead of just worrying about himself and uh, and that was, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that was a formative point for him. Yeah, and I, I also want to point out, I found it really appropriate how disappointed he was when Tia was captured, and he realized just how badly he wanted her to take over. He wants to pass off the responsibility yeah. so badly. Again, just like Prof. He's so much like this guy, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I suppose... My, uh, my final point about David, at least. <clears throat> Just a, a side note here. There was a scene with David and Abraham on bicycles and David's memories of his father. You know, he's got David crying, and it kind of choked me up. I don't I didn't get so choked up the first three times I read it, and this time I was really getting choked up. I was listening to it at work, although I'm pretty sure that at least half of that was just because this, the stupid shop radio was blasting that Dixie Chicks song, Landslide. 
with the little acoustic know. in the background. You, you know the song. I guarantee you know the song. Uh, Lauren, show him the song after this. Uh, Is it a cover? Like, oh, yeah. What's that? Is it a cover of the original Landslide? Uh, I don't know. It's a Dixie Chicks version. I thought they did the original. It could be. I didn't know they did a cover. It might. I don't know. Uh, but it was definitely I mean, the Dixie Chicks version. Okay. Landslide. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. That's a cover. That's a cover. Oh, yeah? And a crappy one. Yes. Uh. That one was playing. It was so like soft, and and, and I, while I was listening to that scene with David on the bicycle crying, and I was just sitting there at my welding machine going, <laughs> "Okay, I'm mainly over here. You know, get back in there, tear." <laughs> I but, I choked up at the end too. Like wait, with his oh, with his father. His father. Yeah. Uh. I remember being so so confused and irritated the first three times. Why was I so emotional the fourth time? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it took that extra deep look. Uh could be it no no so yeah so we've uh, anything else you guys want to discuss specifically about david's journey before we just i don't know move on to some other characters we have touched on megan a little bit but those two kind of go hand in hand uh Um, literally and figuratively i suppose all i'll say is i think it's it you know it's obvious but it was also appropriate to have david get steelheart's powers you really thought that was obvious i mean i thought him becoming an epic was obvious but like actually well, having Steelheart's portfolio, I, I you mean, saw that I going mean, exactly the, uh, there. The narrative choice on Brandon's part was obvious. It was the appropriate thing to do as how a writer. How so? I, like, I don't get it. How how was that more appropriate than just creating a whole new portfolio? Circle. It brings it full circle. He's Steel Slayer. He's the one who took down Steelheart. He's the one who had this upbringing from his father who was convinced that epics can be good. And Steelheart became the symbol of epics are bad and then by giving steelheart's powers to david and having him become the real symbol of epics can be good it was this full circle narrative yeah see i felt like he could have accomplished that with david's father though that that itself just david's father having that exact same portfolio would have been the answer we needed well it's it's all it's all parts of the same whole i suppose because that's you know that's in in that alternate dimension Hmm. so but I liked it. I mean, I, I thought it was a good choice. It was uh, it was not the most subtle thing he's ever done, but I thought it was a good choice. I loved... I wanted David to have, like, the most powerful, you know, abilities. I thought, you know, David deserves it. But actually, Does I never not? really considered him having Steelheart's specific portfolio. I guess, I mean, for yeah, his I mean, reality, can, it was kind of a, a full circle thing. You he know, can fly, he can shoot blasts of power, yeah. he's invulnerable. He's going like, to be super buff, apparently. He does apparently. have the most, the most like, but no, yeah. powerful... I don't know. Well, I would argue that regalia or obliteration, I think obliteration could have killed Steelheart. I think obliteration arguably has, the, maybe not the most impressive power, but I don't know, the greatest potential for power. His voice for him in the audiobook is so creepy. Which too. one, sorry? Oh, Obliteration. For, for oh, Obliteration. my God. I loved it so much. Shout out to McLeod Andrews. I have a couple compliments to pay him later in the episode. But his Obliteration, uh, that's yeah. actually what I have written here under my Obliteration point. Uh, well, it's one of the things I have written down, of course, because Obliteration is a dude that I didn't get a chance to talk about last episode, and I'm going to want to say so much about him in this episode. But yes, McLeod Andrews, delivery, you know, the kind of very soft voice the kind of yeah. biblical quotes it's like whoa i just like it chills every time he, he speaks <laughs> it was great well let's, let's talk about obliteration then all right sweet you don't gotta twist my arm you know someone <laughs> i didn't get a chance to talk about last episode he's perfectly creepy and badass yes. but it's in just the right ratio and just the right mix the way he's constantly quoting scripture he just comes across so detached from everyone else's problems uh he added a real serious flavor of, of, of post-humanism to the equation to me. He made it on the same scale, but in the same way, I would say, as Dr. Manhattan. You know, he just okay. he completely stole every scene he was in. He's just so yes. unconcerned with everyone else's trivialities. He just has his focus on everything at once. And I don't know. I just his entrance in this book was excellent. The way he just in the tower party, he just rotates into view. And then he looks yeah. into David's eyes and he just smiles and the chapter ends right there. <laughs> what a <Yeah>. creep. <laughs> what a creep. And then he just shows up. How the hell does he recognize David? How? I have a theory. I have a th- Obliteration okay. is more than obliteration. Obliteration is something else. I think obliteration knows shit, pardon my French, that even Calamity himself doesn't know. He's just, how, 
no other epic, no other epic was able to recognize them. But then Obliteration again and again and again shows that ability to do that. And he says, oh, it's because of your eyes. And it's like, no, it's not. You're, you're, you're a freak. You have some sort of ability that we don't know about yet. But I No, no, I think he's just nuts. And there are some nutty people who have these kind of like, <laughs> I know you. I know your soul. I don't know. I've never met anybody quite like Obliteration oh, in my life. And if I did, I'd be running in the other fucking direction, powers or not. You know? <laughs> I've I've met people like him. Uh, one guy in Old Town. He's uh, he's got some mental illness and he's homeless. But he looked at me and he was like, "You have a good soul." And I was like, "Because <laughs> I smile." You mean like <laughs> nutritious? You mean like beautiful? Like what are you gonna do? Like what are you talking about? I don't know. But no, I, I I agree with Lauren on this. I think uh, I think obliteration just like has like a creepy insightfulness. I don't necessarily think he's got some unexplored powers. He's like, I mean, he is set up to be, you know, a further antagonist. Oh, I would uh, love to see more obliteration. But, but I don't think Brandon is setting it up like, oh, he's like another level even than Calamity. I think it's he's an attempt to make, um, a a purely human antagonist in this. Uh, Especially with the conversation he has at the very end of the book with David when he reveals that, oh, I overcame yeah. my fears five yep. years ago. Yep, that's that's a, that's another point I had to talk <laughs> like, about there. It was I'm really not doing great. this because of Calamity's corruption and the darkness. I'm doing yeah. this because I, I'm crazy, I'm a crazy person, and I think I'm like the flaming sword of St. Michael the Archangel, and I'm here to bring on like the end times and all of this stuff. Like... <laughs> Um, yeah. I, I think it's it's something Brandon's setting up to make a um, uh, uh, more, for lack Pressing of a better threat. term, down to earth threat. Okay, yeah. Pun not intended. I was uh, a little creeped out to hear that his next his next his next target is Toronto. And my next target is Toronto. You may meet yeah. me there, Steel Slayer. I was like, oh no, get it away from me. That's close to me. No. <laughs> No, no, no. You you do that accent really well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I listened to that. You should hear these guys looking at me at work because I'm sitting there trying to you know, do all of McLeod Andrews, like his, his Abraham, too. I love his Abraham. And these guys are yes. looking at me. This guy's just talking to himself, especially when I'm quoting Obliteration. You wish to set down your cup. And I'm just like, what? The, this is my, my co-worker's looking at me like, what are you talking? I'm just, Never mind. I'm listening to something. Don't worry. Just let me, let me do my thing. So I want to move on to our other main epic antagonist in this. I want to talk about Prof. Prof, my man, what a dickhead! I think, I think he's phenomenal antagonist. Yes, he's mm. you know we we get him built up as a good guy over the first two books, and so we understand how capable and how formidable he is. And then when the tables are turned and suddenly he's the opponent, it is very threatening. It's scary to see him in, you know, full powers and, you know, fully under the sway of the corruption and, ooh, some of those scenes, I, man. I just, I kept, to me, I love, okay, it was great material, a great antagonist to, to suddenly just flip everything over with at the end of Firefight and say, guess what, your own, he's gone rogue now, and he's, he's the most powerful and frightening of all. I did appreciate that. I just, mm, I liked Prof so much in the first couple books, I kept expecting him to suddenly change his mind about what he's doing. Or so I expected, I kept expecting this moment of humanity as he's about to kill the Reckoners and he just realizes what he's doing. I just, I don't know, he just... Uh, I, well, that's, that's what makes him such a fantastic villain in this, because he... he uh, Brandon avoids the easy way out with it. And when he doesn't, you know, have that moment of realization and overcome his inner darkness by himself, it gets even scarier. Yes. Because you're like, oh my gosh, like, how are they gonna, how are they gonna do this? And I, and I have a point about that. <clears throat> so I think, obviously, Prof and uh, Obliteration are better antagonists than Calamity, and I think that's one reason why yeah. Yeah, this I fell agree. flat. You know, Calamity is is a spoiled child as mm. we are led to see it, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, and Prof is a real, well, Prof and Obliteration are real 
evils and they're human. Yeah. And they're they're <laughs> you can feel it. What does it say that the that the people at least they started a human are the ones that are really, really the better antagonists and calamity this high epic a thousand times over is just like me. It's just not a <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I didn't like Calamity at all. But Prof, it, okay, uh, I know I was just complimenting McLeod Andrews. I don't like his Prof. I don't like it. It's just, it's too growly. It's too dark. He talks like this, like a like a heavy smoker. It's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> but I, at the end, it was, was pretty intimidating when Prof is screaming. I haven't heard him do a Prof <laughs> scream before, but it was, oh, it was pretty powerful. But yeah. overall, his, his Prof is just a little too dark and gravelly and broody for me. It just, I don't know. I didn't like that one. I guess it affects how I see him. I see him that way because in the audiobook he talks that way. Yeah, he's very gruff. Very, very gruff. <laughs> I don't know. But how'd you feel like where he ended? It, like, you like that he, that, that, okay, ooh, actually, what I really want to know is what you think about his weakness. Do you think that Brandon sowed those narrative seeds, that he, that he sprinkled those hints in there? Um, Appropriately, do you felt like do you feel like there should have been more hints? Do you feel like maybe it was he was a little too heavy-handed with it? How did you feel about the revelation of Prof's actual weakness? Like the the fear of failure, the fear of failure, yeah, and how it's it was an abstract concept. Um, we thought that it was his own powers, right? We thought that. I thought it was mostly very well done. Mostly he very well done. Laying the seeds for it as far back as Steelheart. Yeah. And even more so in Firefight. Yeah, there were a few moments in Firefight that I brought up. I think one that I mentioned just out of context and yeah. said, I'm not going to explain more. Yeah. Um, there there was a good, like, slow burn on that one where, <laughs> yeah. where it made sense. So. I, I felt like that hit home more than the other weaknesses. You know, for me, obviously, I'm not afraid of fire. I'm not afraid of water. But that fear of weakness was just like, ugh, we all have a little bit of that. And yeah. just making him, taking him from, like, the ideal man just really hit home for me. Mm. His weakness did. What would be your weakness, then? Yeah, if there's one thing that you're terrified, if you were an epic, Drew and Lauren, if both of you got epic powers, what would be your respective weaknesses? Do you, is there anything you fear that much just that you can say right off the bat? Holy crap. Uh, I know. I, I was considering asking this actually last episode and like setting some homework and being like, hey, let's come up with an answer for the final podcast. I totally forgot to, to mention that. It's my Oh bad. my gosh. I don't even know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, can tell the, you. I guess the obvious one for me would be fear of heights. Really? I yeah. have no idea. You have vertigo? So, well, that's oh, dizziness, though. Isn't so, it? I, I do have vertigo, but that's something different. Yeah. Uh, I, I have Meniere's disease, is what it's called. It's like an inner ear thing where I what? get like hearing loss and Seriously? dizziness. Yeah. My mom has that. Oh, no way. I'm not sh um, you right now. Yeah, but but no, so when, when I was much younger, I was in like, I think it was 7th or 8th grade, I was skiing and uh, and through a bizarre, you know, set of circumstances, a little like, I don't know, 6 or 7 year old kid crashed into me from behind and I went over the side of a cliff and landed oh. in like a snowbank, like 20 feet down, staring down a sheer cliff face at like the tops of pine trees dozens of feet below me and I was stuck there with my legs trapped underneath me for like 45 minutes or an hour until See, so I, I don't ski anymore and I'm afraid of heights now. A um, that's what you get for living in Colorado uh, <laughs> B uh, that sounds that sounds like, like a perfect one of those epic stories that you hear about later yes. like you know like like Edmund with the dogs you know that, yeah. that, that I was like sitting here I was like I want to kind of write this down I don't know why <laughs> but damn that sounds terrifying dude so heights eh so if you yeah. were an epic you better hope well I mean you, you probably wouldn't have flight powers, so I'll, if, yeah. we wanted, if we wanted to do the hit on Drew, Andrew McCaffrey, you know, whatever your epic <laughs> name would be, we just got to push you off a skyscraper, right? Sweet. Yeah, that would, that would do it. <laughs> you know what it would be for me? And this is a dumb, this might be a weird, weird kind of fear. Uh, it would be a lack of sleep. I need my sleep. Really? I have trouble sleeping. I have trouble getting out of bed. I'm slowly losing my mind because I can't get a full night's sleep, and it's really dragging me down over these past few years. I don't know. I've got back problems. But the I, like if, if someone wanted to take me down as an epic, I don't know why I'd be saying this. I don't want to spread this information out there. But <laughs> you, all you got to do is keep me awake. For like I, I can't stay awake for it. I can't pull an all-nighter. By the time I reach like 30 hours, I'm like manic. I'm like shaking. I'm like, I need sleep. I, I, I just, I'm inside my own head. If you can keep me awake for like two straight days, boom, my epic powers are gone. 
shot to the brain is all it takes. I will say the research that we have on sleep, it's so crucial for oh. your health. You cannot yeah. make it up. I, don't, I can't tell you the last time I had a dream. It's probably been like four years, probably. Whoa. Jeez. Since I was in college. Like, I, oh, I, don't, I don't think I've actually achieved a deep sleep since then. I just, I can't sleep for more than three hours at a time. I could sleep oh, for like man. 12. I could be in bed for 12, but it's like three hours. I always wake up after three hours, and then I need well, to spend another hour awake, and then it's, it's off. It's, it's okay to do it, like, biphasically, you know, where you sleep for three hours, yeah. up, and then three hours, and then, you know, that's, that's all right. As long as you get your, <laughs> your yeah. most of your sleep. I don't, if I sleep, if I go down to sleep for 12 hours, I'm not sleeping for 12. I'm sleeping in three hour increments. I need to get up yeah, again that's, and again. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, like a lot of hunter-gatherer tribes. Yeah, yeah. Hunter-gatherer tribes do it biphasically where they sleep yeah. overnight for like four to six and then they take a nap in the afternoon. Like, but sometimes I hear my friends going, it's like, oh, I didn't sleep at all last night. I'm going on, you know, a day and a half now. I pulled an all nighter. I'm just looking at them like, dude, I would be a... a a puddle of goo if I was you right now. How, how are you still walking? I don't know. Okay, I just, so, so... Yeah, let's get back on track. What would your weakness be? Mine's a little more graphic, sorry. Oh, uh, that's okay. We can censor it if need be, I'm sure. Oh, man. Okay. You don't so, have to say it. It's fine. Or you could just come up with a false answer, too. Give me bugs. How do you feel about bugs? Centipedes. They're fine. No, I like bugs. Give me the heebie-jeebies. I mean, they could bite you, and some, some of them are poisonous. Well, venomous. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Really? I, know. Them are poisonous. I didn't need to know that. <laughs> Why'd you tell me that? <laughs> Probably not the ones near you, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Canada. I'm good up here. Yeah, everything dies up there. You know, All the insects it, can't it might survive. even be ants. It might even be ants. I was digging. A, I was digging in the ground one time, and I was 14 years old with my hands. I don't know why I'm digging. Apparently, I'm a monkey. I'm digging in the ground with my hands, and suddenly I felt like this burning itch on my arms. Oh no! And I looked down, and it 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 was about. 150 ants had just crawled up my forearms I hadn't noticed and they all started biting in the same instant oh, in the same instant I had to run to the, thank god we had a, a pool for me to go and, and jump into because yeah. I was like Ugh. and even even to this day 200 pound iron worker 27 years old if I see a, a pile of ants like anything more than like 10 ants I'm stepping away from it I'm getting away from it <laughs> I just they freak they give me the heebie jeebies oh. okay I have so. a lesser one I just thought of oh okay so I grew up going to lakes a lot, and I hate the idea of something like a fish or whatever it is brushing oh. my foot without <laughs> me being able to see it. <laughs> I stepped on a fish carcass once and it cut my foot. I'll never be able to step in open water again. So I wear I wear like water shoes. Yeah. It makes me feel better. Like something could still brush my foot, but that fixes it. <laughs> I guess water shoes is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, water shoes. I need, I need to get hooked up on some water shoes. That's what I need. I just, I can't go wild. I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by all the Great Lakes. We have beaches everywhere here. Everywhere. Well, you, you know? have some I can, scary stuff. I can walk stuff. 20 minutes that way, and there's a I'll be on a lake. Well, 15 minutes, actually. I'll be, I'll be on a lake, like, in all directions. There's water everywhere. I just, I haven't gone swimming in the lake in, like, 15 years, because the last time I did, I stepped on a fish carcass, and it cut my foot. There's <laughs> some, there are some scary fish in those lakes. Not these I, ones. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you at all. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to back to blaming. We're 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 getting pretty close to our you know our time here. Are we seriously? So yeah, yeah. Should should we maybe get some like closing thoughts or like pressing? Yeah, for sure. Let's see here. Okay, so I just Abraham, really quick. We found out his last name, Abraham Desjardins. You know. Yeah. Very classic French Canadian name. That one. Very. Um, in fact, one of the guys that works at our shop from time to time, who leaves and comes back here and there, is, is his name. His last name is Desjardins. Um, of Gardens, I think that one means. Well, my French is a little, little rusty. That um, sounds right. And yeah. I did appreciate that he was, a, he's my favorite Reckoner. I think I mentioned this a couple times already. I think I have a man crush on Abraham. I think I just have yeah. to accept <laughs> that. Um, I, I do like that he was the last of the Reckoners whose backstory we finally learned. You know? Yeah. We found out that he was Jetsu uh, Kansafkom, Canadian Special Forces. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it, was really, it was really surreal to see such a strong character, sorry, such a strong character start to crack. Um, there's, a, there's one point when he says to David, he's like, David, 
in all kindness and peace, your plans have already made me exhaust myself today. And now you want me to walk across the city again. He goes, c'est pas One wonders if you have determined I am getting fat. <laughs> I love that line. And uh, yeah. one final Abraham line that I want to bring, bring to the forefront. David, when he sees Megan and Mizzy working together on notes, he says to Abraham, he's all surprised. He's like, they're talking. And to which Abe replies, he's like, you expected maybe clucking? Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. So he's a Abraham. good character. Yeah, he was awesome. Final thoughts, y'all? Uh, so I want to just kind of bring up um, Apocalypse Guard real quick. Sure. Uh, which is the sort of ancillary continuation of the Reckoner's universe that Brandon has planned, um, and that he is uh, now co-writing because he, when yeah. when he wrote the first draft, it just was not working. You know, he had to call his publisher and tell him, "Hey, I'm pulling the book," uh, and and that's how we ended up with Skyward. Uh, but it it seems like the, the Apocalypse Guard is progressing decently well um they're you know, he's working with um dan wells i think uh he's another one of uh, brandon's writer friends he's on the writing excuses podcast with brandon and um and it sounds like that's that's moving along well he's he's worked out a lot of the issues and, and they're, they're and and it's kind of nice for us as as sanderson fans it gives brandon more bandwidth to work on stuff like the cosmere and mm. still get you know his side stories out there um i i i think it's going to be cool to read the apocalypse guard i'm i'm looking forward to getting more answers about calamity and calamity's you know people and how all of that works um but it it does bug me a little bit that we need that to really get yeah. closure on the reckoners <clears throat> i agree i agree 100% um I don't know. I, okay, so the, the, as far as you know, the ending of, of, of this book, and I had mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was going to explain myself, and I said I wasn't really satisfied the first couple of times. This, this is basically why. Um, let's see here. I'm just trying, searching through my notes. Um, okay, so the more I look at it, the more I realize that a lot of my confusion actually comes from Megan's powers. There just seems to be so many stipulations, you know, so many exceptions, so many unexpected things, and then unexpected limitations and the fact that our entire ending with david's reality and his father's reality sort of you know not, not merging but work you know uh, joining in force you know it it, it it they formed one full happy family finally with david beginning to learn his epic powers it left me a little detached um reading david's reunion with his father was was more heartwarming than i remember it being but i found the specific reason uh, now why I was left with this kind of confusion or why I guess I, I guess it guess it stems from expectation being the end of the trilogy the Reckoner story drew as you were just saying I, I suppose I was hoping to have all of my questions answered you know and there is something to be said about leaving things vague or leaving some yeah, loose sure. ends you know I think Brandon handled that very nicely with the wheel of time but I don't know what I wasn't expecting was to end this series with even more questions than I had going in as a final volume in this in this trilogy you know and and maybe i just it's, it's because i tie answers and endings together too closely in my head but looking at it with a subjective eye i think it's a lot of where my i don't know my original disappointment stemmed from yeah that's fair yeah and, and you know the, the book was phenomenal it's not it's not my favorite of his works and i still maintain that i enjoyed both steelheart and firefight a lot more uh, yeah but I did come out of this read with a lot more appreciation than I had before. You know, I, I, I paid for my hardcover on release day. I spent an Audible credit on audiobook for work. And just this morning, I, I bought it again for my Kobo uh, so I could do precise quotes and snippets. You know, three times over I bought this book. Still worth it. Nice. Lauren, do you have any like last thoughts here? I mean, I, I still maintain that uh, the problem is a lot of with Calamity. I don't have problems with Megan's powers. I, I think it's just because I've thought about it so much. Like, what would be possible if you could reach into alternate dimensions? And maybe some of the limitations are self-imposed. Or, I don't know, physics-related. Hmm. Uh, but with, with Calamity, he just comes across as not your normal villain. He seems so... I don't know, vulnerable. 
which is not how you want an antagonist. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You yeah. want him to be the big bad, you know, and Prof and, and Obliteration are more big bad than Calamity is, the spoiled child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was one thing I wanted to get your opinion on, Drew. Something I found in the audiobook, specifically in the audiobook. And I had mentioned before that I don't think I would ever be playing part of an audiobook on this podcast because that would make monetization difficult. But this isn't technically part of the book. This is um, a footnote at the end of the is book. Is it? I it's the I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you think? Do you know what? <laughs> is okay, it I'm about gonna, mitosis? Yes, I'm gonna play yeah. it right now, just so you guys. Yep. Uh, Lauren, yep. do you know what I'm about to do? Yes, I do. Okay, check this out, everybody. Hold on. Three seconds. This book is over, but the story continues. Keep listening after the credits to hear the beginning of Mitosis, a Reckoner story. Book four in the Reckoner series, free. Okay. What was that? <laughs> a mistake. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I happened to hear Lauren finishing listening to her audiobook, and, and I immediately perked up. I was like, well, that was a, an editorial mistake there. You know, that is not the only time that that's actually happened for a book on this podcast. I just didn't mention it last time. That happened in Kane's Law. Uh, Stefan Rudnicki, well, it's not what? his fault. He had it written down for him. It said, oh, God, which one was it? It said, um, it, it mentioned that Kane's Law was the third third book where it said Kane Black Knife was book four. It, it, it mixed up one of those oh. two. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, what, what, what are you saying? You know, I was, but then I, I well, was like, you ah, can, maybe you it's something I'm not. make a, a case for, for the Acts of Atonement. Act of Atonement yeah. Where, like, it's so non-linear. Be like, oh, well, and maybe I remember, it took place I, after. I, I, <laughs> damn, I should have written down exactly what it was, but I remember thinking, like, that could be it, but it still doesn't make sense because of the way they had phrased it yeah, I don't no, know, but it, it's definitely worth yeah. looking into if you have the audiobooks for the acts of Cain uh go listen to the beginning and and of book three and the beginning of book four no the end of book three and the end of book four you'll hear it too you'll get oh, oh yeah. what the heck <laughs> so yeah right. well let's uh let's move into the final draft then sweet I'll I can I can start since I uh I'm doing exactly what I did last week and I'm just drinking water because yay you know, healthy carbs right <laughs> All right, Lauren, you take it away. <laughs> okay, so I had a gestalt moment where I was like, I know what beer I want to bring. Green Flash for Prof. Oh, Green Flash? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to take a look at this thing. Do you have it like uh, in a glass or something? So Sweet. this, the brewery's called Green Flash. Oh, the brewery's called Green Flash. Okay. And I can see a little symbol California on there. It looks based. like an aloe. Yeah, so apparently, since I've never lived by the beach... This is a thing that happens when you see a sunset over the ocean. Oh, they you had a point like, about that in Pirates of the Caribbean. I think sorry, it was not a sunset, sunrise, sunrise over the beach. I thought it was you can both. See a, I don't know. I haven't the seen green it flash, ever. Yeah, but it's supposed to happen. It's a yeah? phenomenon. I thought know? that was a total myth. I know all about the lore of it, but I thought that was just a total fictional thing. Is that like a? Real, I guess it could be inspired Apparently by real world real. Yeah. I just haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we we live in a landlocked state, you know? Sweet. But anyways, I was going to do their just green flash IPA, um, but they're out of that, so I did Cosmic Ristretto. Ah, noise. <laughs> I, f I felt like it referred to the end, you know. Yeah, Cosmic. Like yeah. And it's a roasty, smooth uh, Baltic porter. With espresso. Sweet. With espresso? You got some caffeine yeah. in that? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Mixing the best of both worlds. I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I felt that good right now. Stupid fucking keto diet. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Drew, my man, what are you drinking, dude? Yeah, so today I have something pretty special in. Pretty special? <laughs> uh, so this is a collaboration between New Belgium Brewing Company and Fort Collins, Colorado. Ah, and not your Rare first time Barrel bringing New Belgium on. Yeah. And uh, so this is, uh, the Rare Barrel has a, uh, a Lambic, it's a, like a cherry sour, um, and they blended the their Rare Barrel Lambic with New Belgium's dark sour base called Oscar, and then aged it in uh, wine barrels, <clears throat> in 17 different wine barrels, and then blended them all together 
along with New Belgium's Golden Sour, which is called Felix. So this is a crazy blended, uh, essentially a Creek Lambic. So it's a like a cherry sour, uh, wood aged, and it's super, super good. Oh, yes. Um, but even better, it is called Air on the Side of Awesome. No, it's not. No, it's read not. It. Bullshit. Read it. Bullshit. <laughs> what happened before this episode is you guys printed that out and you glued it on there and you're playing a fucking prank on me. There's no way you you found a beer that, that was that perfect. There's no it, there's no way. It just came out last week. This there's no I, I don't even yeah. know what, how to process that information right now. <laughs> God I, damn. I, there's no Brandon book that I thought this was better to bring in. Well, th- we might as well stop calamity. the final draft now. There's never going to be a better a better entry than that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> holy crap well you, you picked one that was awesome enough for two definitely so uh so yeah um yeah so that, that brings us to the conclusion of our uh, final draft for this week yeah um and this has been episode 24 if i'm not mistaken is it i thought it was the... 25 it's probably 24 you're probably right yeah yeah um and uh yeah so next week we are going to be covering uh, through chapter 25, it's the end of part two of Foundry Side by Robert Jackson Bennett. Bennett. It's a newer, uh, newer fantasy series. Um, definitely check it out. Uh, he's, he's great, you know, great reviews. Um, I'm, I'm certainly enjoying it so far. I think all fans of Brandon Sanderson will really, really love this book. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're going to be doing two weeks on Foundry Side, and, and the first week we'll cover through the end of part two. Um, if you want early access to that, check out our Patreon. We have some pretty awesome perks in addition to uh, early access to episodes. We have uh, short episodes that are Patreon exclusive, including we uh, just did Mitosis for yeah, Reckoners. Um, it's not book four, it's book 1.5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so as, as always, you know, I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co host, Rob Santos. Yo! And our special guest, my wife, Lauren McCaffrey. Thank you so much again, Lauren, for coming on. Of course. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody.